John Talk Telecom with Andy Netzel and John Rewe. You're logged into Andy and John Talk Telecom. I'm Andy Netzel. I'm John Rewe. Thanks again for joining us on another adventure in the telecom world. John, how are you doing today? I'm having a fine day today, Andy. Uh, it's been a great week in the telecom world, getting out in the field, seeing some uh, job sites and uh, learning and doing. How's, how's things going with you? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm I'm excited because I finally have a way to tie telecom and golf together. All right, so oh. just, just 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 bear with me here. Right, so autonomous vehicle maker Arigo, I think is how you pronounce it, is partnering with the Wales Open over uh, across the pond in the UK uh, to help golfers get around the tournament without the presence of drivers. So what does this have to do with telecom? You might ask yourself. Well, the vehicles <laughs> will be utilizing Vodafone's 4G network to navigate around the golf course. Um, I think it's pretty neat uh, that they're experiencing, you know, are experimenting uh, with a, a small scale Internet of Things autonomous driving network. And I am thrilled that is on a golf course. I think that's just just pretty sweet. And uh, it should be worthwhile for uh, 5G providers, I would think, and autonomous car manufacturers to study how this event goes uh, and, and take that feedback into consideration as they, you know, plan to launch their their own future 5g fueled autonomous vehicle networks on uh, on city streets so the future is here john at least for golfers at the uh, the 2020 wales open well that's pretty exciting i'd like to congratulate you on uh, finally having your dream story uh <laughs> pop up in the headlines but i mean it's pretty cool that they're able to do this over 4g you know i know that uh, uh there's still uh things you can do with 4g that especially if uh You've got the uh, the low enough latency to support that, especially with autonomous vehicles. Um, and I suppose that at the lower speeds and uh, I guess uh, less margin for error out on the golf course, um, it's a pretty good test case. Yeah. Um, you know, it's I mean, one of the worst uh, that's going to happen. They're going to drive somebody into the pond, and uh, you know, somebody gets wet well, better I... than than trying it out on <laughs> on I forty five down the middle of Texas. And uh, I mean, I think you know. All you know, we want we want to see this uh, technology succeed and uh, be very fruitful and and helpful. But I think we also kind of want to see some hapless golfer uh, freaking <laughs> out as he can't do anything about his cart going into a pond. That's that's right. I think uh, it might take their, their their mental side of the game um, up, you know, ratchet up a little bit and and have to deal with that as well as the the difficulties of the course and the weather and all that stuff. So. Unfortunately, I don't think the Wales Open is on TV over here, but uh, I'll definitely Shame. be sure to to see if there's any highlights on YouTube. Be well, I'm sure that yeah, I'm sure if uh, Cart takes some golfer into the drink, it will show oh, up on sure. Sports Center for sure. One of those not top ten plays, absolutely. <laughs> but you you mentioned latency. We already mentioned five G. Those are two of the things I think we're going to be talking about later on in the show. Um, so we are excited about that. Uh, we have a little this week in telecom history. We have a special guest, special guest friend of the pod, Robert Hall. What on our travel corner? He's going to give us some recommendations for good eats up in the Midwest. And um, yeah, let's get down to it. You ready, John? I am ready. Let's go. Let's go. Andy and John talk telecom. 
like a blood pressure pill for your latency. John, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the first transatlantic telegraph cable being completed in 1858, if you'll, you'll recall that story. Well, this week in 1911, the New York Times sent a commercial telegram round trip around the world. They did this to test how fast commercial telegrams could travel around the globe. The message itself read, and I quote, this message sent around the world. So whoever uh, you know came up with that, not super creative, not uh, <laughs> didn't put too much thought into that, but you know it is what it is. But that message left at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern time and arrived back 16 and a half minutes later. It traveled over 28,000 miles and had to be relayed by 16 different operators. Uh, cool fact, the building that the message originated from is One Times Square, and that building is better known for where the big ball drops on New Year's Eve. You ever seen that on TV or maybe you've been there yourself? Who knows, but that is where the uh, that telegraph, or origin, telegraph originated from. The uh, It's interesting because the, the, the progress of telecommunications was seems to be you know much slower in the 19th century than than it is today you know samuel samuel morse sent out the first american telegram in 1944 the first transatlantic cable was completed you know 14 years later and 67 years after the first telegram um 67 years later it still took 16 and a half minutes for a simple you know one sentence message to to transverse the globe and, and take a global loop uh, so, you know, it's... Wow. So yeah, it's, Samuel Morse sent the first telegram in 1844? In 1844, the first American one. Apparently there were some uh, um, British uh, inventors who had, had sent it, sent telegrams before that. But, you know, let's go with the, you know, America. And we're going to go yeah. ahead and, and talk about Samuel Morse and his first one in 1844. Exactly. But yeah, but he so better press releases or something. So Yeah, right. He had something named after him, like the Morse code. So, you know. He wins at the end of the day. But yeah, so it took 60, 70 years for the, this message to go a- around the, the globe in 16 and a half minutes. And while that sounds impressive for 1911, think about the rate that, you know, technology improves at today. You know, it lends evidence to the, um, you know, accelerating uh, technology theory or the accelerating change, you know, theory of technological change. The, as time goes on, the the faster uh that technology changes and the, the more technological advances that, that we discover and that we make. So that's, uh, that's this week in telecom history. Although, sorry, one more thing. You may be wondering, what was the route that telegraph took? Well, yeah. if you will indulge me, it started in New York City and went westward across the United States from New York to San Francisco, out to Honolulu, then Midway Island, Manila, Hong Kong, Saigon, Singapore, Madras, Bombay, Aden, Suez, Port Said, Alexandria, Malta, Gibraltar, Lisbon, the Azores, and finally back to New York City, New York, good old US of A. So that's a pretty impressive route spanning these Pacific and Atlantic oceans. Um, yeah, that's just a a pretty remarkable uh, feat for it, what, what seems so is. long ago. And that was, okay, so I think the circumference of the Earth is what, like 29,000 miles or something? And it sounds like with that route, uh, it was a bit of a zigzag. So I guess that message traveled quite a bit further than that. Yeah, it, it well, it says it, it took 28,000 miles. So I think some of it was because uh, maybe in the, the upper hemispheres, you know, I, I have not broken up my ruler and, and, and checked the validity of um, 
you know that statement, but yeah, it's a long way to go either way. Huh, fascinating. Well, not exactly low latency, but uh, at its time, I think 16 <laughs> minutes was pretty good. I think I think they would take it. It's just impressive for having to go across the Pacific, the Atlantic, all you know through Asia. I think the um, the New York Times was most impressed with the routing through India because uh, it had to go through dense jungles and. Um, yeah, just impressive. So there's a weekly history lesson, and let's move on to our uh, our first topic. All right, so this week I'm going to talk about latency, as we've already discussed a few times in the beginning of this pod. 5G is not enough is the title of this segment, and what do I mean by that? Well, we hear a lot of talk about how 5G will usher in the golden age of IoT, Internet of Things. Um, self-driving cars, uh, industrial automation, all this stuff. But 5G alone is not going to get us all the way there. These use cases we've been talking about for a long time, uh, you know, I said automated cars, uh, being able to operate mining equipment in a mine from a cubicle, um, robotic surgeries, uh, augmented realities, virtual reality, all these cool things that we're talking about, they haven't arrived yet because they have, require ultra low latency to enable real-time communications. So, you know, it's one thing to support real-time voice and even decent video conferencing. We've been doing that for a long time. Um, You know, we're recording this podcast on Zoom, and although y'all aren't seeing the video, we're seeing it, and it works pretty well. Um, But these things are not really data intensive. If our Zoom calls were in 4K video, that would change things. That would require a lot more data, but we don't really need 4K video in our Zoom calls. But imagine if the stakes are higher, like remote uh, like remote robotic surgery. I mean, a life and death scenario like that, you need extremely high resolution video, and you can't have any lag. So what you see on the screen has to be in real time. So if you've got a surgeon sitting in a room over here and uh, a patient's who knows how far away uh with a robot uh you know that there can't be any lag you can't cut the wrong thing no we talk about bringing haptic technology into the mix where um the the doc the surgeon might have gloves on and that he would have vibrations or uh haptic responses that mimic what is happening as if he were holding the tools himself um and you know, that's some really, really uh, nuanced little movements and things. And so uh, not only the video, but the data uh, to support all that stuff is a huge amount of data. And there's no room for error. It's got to be real time. So, you know, a lot of this holds true in the case of autonomous vehicles, too. So when you consider a car traveling 70 miles an hour travels over 100 feet in one second, it becomes clear that processing all the data required to avoid crashes can't be delayed by a lag in the network. Um, so how do you remove this lag time? Well, one step, of course, is high-speed networks. Um, you know, when we see so much of this being built right now, um, fiber is being just put all over this country. The country's everywhere, covered with fiber. And then you've got these massive 5G deployments going on. Um, you know, and 5G will play a huge role in this uh, uh, reduction in lag time because many of these uh, use cases for IoT involve things that require wireless connectivity. Um, so being able to provide fiber-like speeds 
wirelessly. That's what 5G is going to do for us. But there remain other weak links in the network that must be overcome to enable these real-time data transfers. Um, this lag that we talk about is called latency. So what is latency really? Well, in our context, it's the amount of time it takes for a request to travel from the sender to the receiver and for the receiver to process that request, prompting the desired action. So it would be, or an example would be the time it takes for the remote surgeon to move the joystick or manipulate his haptic glove or whatever controller he's using. And for the signal to travel over fiber or 5G or both through the network and then signal the robot to cut something on a patient or in a patient. Um, obviously, that has to be extremely precise. I was going to say, John, the, so I mean, if, if someone's performing surgery with this, the, the, the lag rate, the latency has to be essentially zero. Essentially, I, yes. I would, I would assume. Is, is, there, is that theoretically possible? Uh, I don't know if zero is possible, but obviously we're going to get as close to zero as possible. Um, then one of the things that is going to get us there is, well, the signals that we're talking about right now have to go through various routers and other network devices. And each of these hops slows things down. So even fiber can slow things down if the data has to travel over long physical distances. Um, you know, fiber is, of course, the fastest medium of transmission but um it's limited by the speed of light and i guess that can add up over a period of time now if my math is correct even at the speed of light and with no hops in between it would at least take several milliseconds for a piece of data to go coast to coast in the u.s and that would not meet the threshold of ultra low latency um now if my math is wrong somebody can correct me but <laughs> um but i'm pretty sure that's right so how do we achieve ultra low latency or what the alphabet super seeing out there now is urllc which is ultra reliable low latency communication really rolls off the tongue doesn't it yeah it does let's go with well, the urllc i like that one better. yeah yeah urllc so well well no, no you are but <laughs> what I began by saying 5G isn't enough to achieve uh, these uh, remote surgeries and autonomous cars, but it is the prerequisite. Uh, these new super fast wireless capabilities, all interlinked with fiber, uh, enable faster data transmission than ever before. But the next step is integrating that with edge computing to cut down on the distance and number of hops data has to travel before being processed and acted upon. So today, Business relies heavily on cloud computing, um, but that's kind of slow. I mean, you know, a, a perfect example or one example is if you're collaborating on a document with a colleague and you've made your changes and it's stored in the cloud and then you talk to your colleague and he's like, uh, I don't see what you did. Well, it hasn't synced up yet in the cloud. Um, and so there's an article in, uh, let's see, it's ZDNet.com. Uh, that describes this nicely. I'll just read text from this uh, site. It says, the problem with cloud computing service today is that it's slow, especially for artificial intelligence-enabled workloads. This essentially disqualifies the cloud for serious use in deterministic applications such as real-time securities markets, forecasting, uh, autonomous vehicle piloting, and transportation traffic routing. Processors stationed in small data centers 
closer to where their processes will be used could open up new markets for computing services that cloud providers haven't been able to address up to now. In an IoT scenario where clusters of standalone data gathering appliances are widely distributed, having processors closer to even subgroups or clusters of those appliances could greatly improve processing time, making real-time analytics feasible on a much more granular level. So that is exactly what is being done now uh, and is enabled by 5G deployments. Uh, prime example is Verizon's partnership with Amazon's AWS Wavelength, which they announced last December and which went live this month in the Bay Area and in Boston. Uh, Verizon is the first to offer the AWS Wavelength solution, which embeds, and I quote from the AWS uh, press release, AWS compute and storage services at the edge of 5G networks. Um, AWS Wavelength enables developers to serve edge computing use cases that require ultra-low latency, uh, like all these other use cases we've talked about. And essentially what it does is, I mean, we've, most of us have probably heard of Amazon Web Services, which is um, relied upon by tons of businesses, uh, large and small, um, for their data centers and, and cloud storage. But basically, AWS Wavelength is a new uh, sort of branch of AWS, which is going to basically embed that that sort of data center stuff into the 5G provider, in this case Verizon, into their network closer to the edge. Um, Amazon has a press release that also does a good job of telling this story. So I'll just... So, John, is essentially what they're doing is they're taking whatever you have stored in the cloud and... and um, pushing that out from a central location, like you said, out to the edge and just pretty much cutting out the middleman and reducing the number of hops and routers and, and distance it needs to go to make it quicker. All they're doing is pushing it closer to the end user. Yeah, absolutely. And in this case, um, that is, there's, it's taken a few different forms. One is where, you know, uh, Verizon has data centers in different regions, closer geographically to, uh, uh, different uh, areas, and AWS might uh, co-locate co some of their uh, um, capabilities in that data center, so it's closer to the to that region. Um, they've got it broken up into, I think, 77 different regions that um, AWS's uh, wavelength is servicing, so they can get this stuff closer to the edge. But there's also, um, you can look this up, smaller, like, mini data centers that are built into shipping containers that can be dropped off even closer to the edge. Um, to do some of this work. So, you know, if you are doing remote surgery and the doctor's in New York and the patient is in San Francisco, that's not your optimum case. That's kind of not what we're talking about. But if you've got a bunch of autonomous cars in, uh, in Houston and we've got to feed all the data from the sensors on the road and in the cars and process that and then tell these cars where to go and how to slow down and speed up and so on and so forth. You know, you want all your processing in your data centers like in Houston, maybe even in different parts of Houston. Um, so yeah, it's just pushing this out to the edge. Um, so the Amazon press release also kind of has some pretty good verbiage that I'll, I'll read from. There's, it says there is an increasing number of applications uh, like smart manufacturing, machine learning, autonomous uh, driving, live event streaming, uh, video games, IoT, that want very low latency across a mobile network. So to perform their jobs, these applications need access to compute and storage and 
they need to use the cloud. Uh, however, accessing the cloud with traditional mobile architecture requires several hops on the network from a device to a cell tower to a metro aggregation site to a regional aggregation site to the internet to the cloud and then back through these stops before getting back to the device. So this can create tens of milliseconds of latency. The 5G network is up to 10 times faster than 4G, but to take full advantage of this latency improvement uh, that 5G offers, we have to reduce the number of hops. So Wavelength addresses these problems by bringing AWS services to the edge um, and putting it right there in with the, uh, kind of embedding it with Verizon's network. So, That's really neat. Yeah. So as we kind of wind this up, Verizon and others are spending ridiculous amounts of money deploying these 5G networks. I mean, I think you can just Google that and, or if you're in the industry and you're paying attention to the amount of small cells being put up, the amount of fiber being built, obviously it's a humongous outlay. And I guess if you were wondering if all of us paying a few bucks more on our cell phone bills is going to cover that cost, well, the answer is probably no. But in packaging 5G connectivity and the power of edge computing for enterprise consumers, you see a huge potential new revenue stream that will come from supporting massive rollouts of IoT tech, like industrial automation, self-driving cars, and all these other use cases we've discussed. So it's basically a whole new industry that did not exist before that is suddenly going to become uh, a huge uh, consumer of services from companies like Verizon. And as things kind of converge where you have Verizon partnering with uh, AWS and, you know, Verizon of course is not alone in this. AT&T is working on their 5G edge computing solution as well in partnership with Microsoft Azure. Um, and they've got test sites in Dallas and LA right now. So that's kind of the partnership that AT&T has. And then even the terrestrial fiber providers have their own uh, edge computing uh, offerings. Some of them do. CenturyLink is advertising theirs and, and there's others out there. So this is just really a whole new market that these providers are going to be able to take advantage of and, and are expecting to make massive returns from. It's it's. John, I appreciate that. It's a super fascinating, especially the, the haptic technology is just, is, is, I can't get past that. Uh, the, you know, performing surgery, uh, you know, two cities away it is fascinating stuff. And, um, you know, things of a, of a sci-fi movie or, you know, a sci-fi novel that you read. Well, I, you know, there's other, I mean, there's so much of this is just so fascinating and there's stuff we haven't even thought of yet that we'll be able to do with this. But you talked about haptic technology. I remember being at the uh, an Ericsson office and they had their um, a it was like a place where you could drive a excavator remotely and you sit in this little seat. It's almost kind of remind me of like one of those driving game uh, video games where you feel like you're sitting in a seat driving a car. Um, but sure, it had like, the, at, the, like at the arcade back in yeah back exactly in but yeah. here you're actually driving some massive excavator that's out on a mining site or whatever and you're sitting in a in a seat that kind of replicates what you'd feel like if you were actually in the excavator but um, I don't know if this one had haptic technology but I know that that's what they're doing or developing now where the controls actually have the same feedback and feel as if you were actually in the excavator itself and uh, you know that obviously that <laughs> there was a, a podcast I listened to the other day where they were joking about, well, blue collar labor is going to turn into working in a cubicle. You know, if you're working in a mine, 
that means <laughs> you work in a cubicle driving, you know, a machine. And that's obviously safer because you're not going to have personnel down there where a mine can collapse or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cool things you can do with this. It is incredibly fascinating. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you talked about 5G. So uh, let's talk about some 5G news, shall we? Yeah, so- that's the order of the day that's right so i've read a couple of uh conflicting stories this week related to uh consumer 5g demand telecoms.com they reported that u.s customers are failing to register 5g buzz and they, they, they just don't see the the 5g demand there so apple uh well apple maintained the number one spot for smartphone shipments in the second quarter of 2020 Samsung uh, struggled to move its flagship phones and um, its 5G devices. You know, Apple's expected to introduce a 5G iPhone later this year, so keep that in mind, because uh, I imagine that would further uh, add to Samsung's woes and would further or potentially add to the uh, the 5G buzz. Um, but after seeing the uh, results from Samsung, Apple may choose to wait another year to introduce their 5G uh, device. COVID-19 for sure is uh, is sure to have had an impact on sales as Samsung shipped 59% fewer 5G-supported phones than the same time last year. 2020 wow. was supposed to be the year of 5G, John, but that is looking less and less the case uh, as we reach further and further into 2020 and, and draw ourselves closer to 2021. Of the 4.1 million 5G phones sold in the United States thus far, not just this year, but uh, up, up until now, Verizon accounts for 54% uh, of that total. Verizon has sold 2.2 million 5G phones uh, with AT&T a distant second at 629,000 5G phone sales. T-Mobile has sold 501,000 and Sprint 483,000. Globally, South Korea shows about 7 million 5G phones with 13% of their population owning a 5G phone. Compare that 13% uh, in South Korea to 1.2% in the United States. So right now, only 1.2% of phones in the United States are um, 5G compatible. Wow. The, large, the largest 5G phone population, China, with 66 million 5G subscribers or around 4.7% of that country's population. So, John, we hear 5G here, we hear 5G there, we hear 5G everywhere. It's the future, it's coming. Heck, I've even heard some people already talking about 10G, but the, the matter of the fact is 5G still isn't fully here. And we see that, um, you know, with 5G at the home, not even not being rolled out to every city even or even close to every, you know, major metro, me, metropolitan area yet. We see that here with 5G cellular service with only 1.2% of uh, the population uh, of phones in the United States uh, being 5G compatible and having a 5G chipset, uh, we still have just a ways to go uh, with 5G. And it's just not generating the buzz that I think the industry thought it would uh, thus far. Um, well, like I said, you think that you think it's uh, a factor of not as many 5G devices being available, or just not enough uh, 5G network actually available. I think it's it's a little bit of both i think it's the network and the device so the iphone uh to my understanding is the most popular you know cellular device out there and, and, I, and apple has not come out with one of the 5g chipset yet even though it is supposed to this year and i think part of it is is the network um you know we see the commercials from the the various providers saying you know we have 5g 
uh, coverage nationwide, but um, you know, the national advertising board has come back to a couple of those companies and has said, ah, you can't, you can't advertise that because no, you actually don't have 5g speeds nationwide just yet. So I think it's a, a little column a, a little column B there. Um, but you know, I think it is, it is coming along because the, the contrasting story, uh, comes from 5g Americas, uh, which doesn't paint such a gloomy picture for, uh, the, for 5g networks and the feature 5g. They're stressing quarter over quarter growth, uh, more growth than 5G um, tower and radio deployments despite COVID-19, and an increased number of 5G enabled devices. So they're choosing to look at the glass half full. Like, yes, is 5G full here? No, but we're continuing to see growth in both the deployment of networks and in the, um, the sales of 5G enabled devices. So there are currently over 100 5G enabled devices available to consumers worldwide. Commercial 5G networks number 82 globally, and that number is expected to more than double to 206 by the end of 2020. So it was, I mean, this was before, this was in second, you know, at the end of second quarter. So, you know, COVID-19 might have knocked some of those down, but they were expected to have 206 commercial 5G networks worldwide by the end of this year. Of those uh, 100 plus 5G enabled devices I mentioned earlier, there is uh, increasing support for all three methods of 5G deployment, both are all, including millimeter wave, low band, and, and mid band. So we're seeing a good spread of the different methods of 5G being covered by, um, by cell phone manufacturers being willing to um, support all three of those methods. So hopefully we'll be able to put the pandemic behind us and, and continue the rollout of 5G. I imagine, like I said earlier, 5G will get a huge boost when Apple... Uh, eventually introduces an iPhone with a 5G chipset. I mean, you've, I'm sure, John, I'm sure you've seen the Apple release parties, you know, in the fall, in the, in the past. Oh, and they're yeah. usually widely attended and widely scrutinized and watched. Um, so, you know, I think they'll get a big, 5G will get a big boost once, uh, you know, Becky on the block can get her, her latest, you know, iPhone update that she wants to get a new iPhone every year. And uh, this one happens to have 5G. Yeah, so I think we'll get a, get a big boost there. And well, yeah. I mean, I I think so. I mean, I could speak for me as being a pretty staunch uh, Apple guy and an iPhone guy. You don't get a new phone my... every year, do you, John? No, I don't. And in fact, all right, all right. Um, I actually just got my uh, newest iPhone a few months ago after holding on to my uh, uh, five. Uh, oh, yes. nice, man! You could have you should, just waited another another year, you know, and maybe you would have. Wasn't had that that? Isn't that what they always say though? Like, yeah. oh, I need a new phone. I had to go get one. Oh man, if you would have just waited a year, like, well, I yeah. guess you know, you could just buy a new one every year. But that's very expensive. It's it's you know, but it you is. know, if I had if I had a five G capable iPhone, then I would pay a lot more attention to when is five G coming to my town. I oh, absolutely, know. and it makes no sense to. Uh, have a 5g chipset in your phone if you don't have 5g in your area it, it, you're just i mean it's not even overkill it's just not it's no kill it's just not working as as it's um as it could if there's 5g network in your area the uh and the fcc is doing its part uh has the cbrs auction and the recent opening of more mid-band spectrums uh so they're pushing for you know the more uh, more rollout of 5g networks so 2020 may not be the year of 5g uh, it's really not the year for really anything positive, but 2021 will certainly see great movement and advancements in the 5G world. Um, at least I'm hoping so, John. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, 2020 has been a rough year all the way around. But uh, one thing that we have seen is that a lot of um, communications infrastructure continues to be built and without a tremendous amount of delay uh, in spite of everything else that's slowed down. So, you know, even if we're still getting things sorted with our uh, 5G deployment technologies and which spectrum we want to do and, uh, you know, as the, the companies uh, find their learning curve and find, you know, how do we need to bring more people online in the meantime at least if you call 2020 a lost year in many respects at least they got a lot of towers up and a lot of fiber in the ground to support whatever uh you know evolution that's right they're put out they're there. uh supporting the build it and they will come theory you know verizon is is you know the, the ceo said in january that they were still all in on their millimeter wave technology and they were still building towers out there and and trying to expand their network um so the the build it and they will come theory uh may come to fruition we'll see if it works out for them indeed well i am looking forward to uh gigabit speeds on my on my uh, iphone that will be pretty cool honestly can't wait i cannot wait for it either (laughs) well hey john i appreciate it some good good talk some good discussion about uh about 5g about latency haptic technology um all things that are incredibly fascinating and and things we'll be talking about in the future because they ain't going away so we'll take a quick break. We will be back with uh, special guest Robert Hall for his recommendations in the upper Midwest on a couple of joints that he had some delicious uh, meals at. Um, after that, we'll come back with the upcoming SCTE trains and we will get you out of here. Thanks for listening to Andy and John Talk Telecom. You're listening to Andy and John Talk Telecom. Welcome back to Andy and John Talk Telecom. We're going to get into our, our travel corner here. Uh, we have a, a special guest, a friend of the pod, Robert Hall. Um, we've known Robert for for a good bit, and we've uh, traveled a bunch with him and eaten at a lot of good places uh, with him, haven't we, John? And uh, that's for sure. And so we know that Robert has some some good recommendations. So we're gonna we're gonna temporarily call uh, call this segment at least this week Robert's Travel Corner. So Robert. Welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the fact that uh, uh, when you go to somebody that doesn't, you're not uh, necessarily asking them uh, telecom questions, food questions, you come to me. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. <laughs> well, well, we know you're extremely well-traveled, and uh, I know you've got some uh, great uh, uh, morsels of truth to share with us on that topic. Yes, I, I I enjoy my food. I'm not gonna lie about that. We're not gonna we're not gonna waste uh, dollars or calories on anything not worth uh, spending the time on. So, uh, actually, as you guys know, I, I used to travel quite a bit north, and uh, I spent quite a bit of time in the great state of Michigan. And when I wasn't uh, trying to stay warm, um, I did have some really good eats up there, and uh, a couple of different places. One of my favorites was in um, Fowler's. Bill, Michigan or Fowlerville, Michigan and outside of Brighton uh, I actually broke down there early one morning and uh, was within walking distance to this place. I had made a phone call it was going to take a while to get to my truck and tow it. So I walked in this place called the Olden Days Cafe and to my surprise uh, from the moment I opened the door the smells hit me. I was pretty fired up but I'm a breakfast guy so uh, didn't take a whole lot to get me excited about that but 
I then sat down to what was absolutely the lightest, I guess, fluffiest maybe, pancakes I have ever enjoyed in my life. Just completely unexpected. Uh, I asked some questions about, you know, the chef uh, in this case, or cook, whatever, and uh, they had explained that he had been a, uh, a chef in Detroit area and uh, maybe ran into a little... Uh, issues or trouble and came out there to them and they were happy to have them and I tell you what I was happy they had him as well and uh, that, that I went back there uh, a handful of times uh, from that point forward I had a customer there outside of uh, uh, the Brighton area that uh, enjoyed meeting me over there from time to time to get the day started off right and uh, just a, a really laid-back place with some excellent food and some good people to spend some time with there uh, definitely one of the things that I enjoy about uh, food is the experience uh, the food obviously is number one but uh, you know where where you are and the, and the good people that are taking care of you are just as important uh, what kind me. of a, what kind of pancakes do you like do you get chocolate chips and whipped cream do you get strawberries and whipped cream just like I'm playing with some syrup what's your uh, what's your go-to pancake order yeah I'm, I'm, I'm if you can get me on plane then I might branch out on you but I'm going just like just like donuts I'm going to go ice donut the plane and just see what you can do and uh, that's pretty much what i do with pancakes as well and this this place just it rocked i don't know that i've ever had a lighter fluffier pancake ever i like it i like it and that's that's i mean that's something coming from uh some high praise coming from me you're you're an alabama boy through and through you don't like that that northern yankee food so for you to uh to tolerate that and to to give and heap praise on them i think that's uh that that goes a long way and says something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it made a rough start to a morning, uh, worth, uh, worth the problems that I was having with the, the, uh, truck at the time worth it. So, uh, definitely a change in where I was headed for that day with that place. And that kind of, uh, segues me into the next uh, location I had up there as far as, uh, not really, uh, knowing what I was getting into when I first started uh, traveling into Michigan and how many, uh, different types of uh, changes, I guess, in food that I would experience as I went from state to state. I mean, you would think we're we're in America; it's all the same general food going back and forth, but it, it really isn't. And uh, it's amazing from from barbecue to just simply burgers how things change. And uh, I had gone in a uh, little place uh, called Kennedy's Irish Pub. Uh, it's, it's it's near Pontiac. Now, it's definitely outside of Pontiac. I think it's maybe Weatherford Township or something, or Waterford, Waterford Township. Either way, um, I wandered in there. I can't remember exactly how, uh, one evening for dinner, and uh, ordered something called an Irish burger, which I was <laughs> delighted to find that you could not only have a burger, but you could also take finely, finely sliced uh corn uh corned beef on top of that and the experience just goes through the roof I, I, they had a special uh, uh condiment that went with it exactly how they prepared that i'm not sure but the combination of uh, i mean it was a thick burger then you got the the uh, corned beef on top of it it's just it's just wow and then tell me uh, you paired that with uh, some jameson uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things you have to do. Uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, in that same area, I think it's probably not 
20 or 30 miles away, there's another Irish place called Jameson's Bar and Grill. So anyway, <laughs> it's, it's apparently it was a high, highly Irish uh, background area there uh, in that in that general vicinity. But anyway, this was uh, that was my introduction to an Irish burger, and uh, I enjoyed those uh, kind of throughout the Indiana, Ohio, uh, Michigan uh, area there from time to time so, when I saw it on the menu. So the Irish burger is a thing in that region then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, like I said, I, I mean, I didn't know what an Irish burger was. I started reading and like, holy cow, corned beef on top of a beef patty. This, you, you I mean, you can't go wrong. Stand and then, I, yeah. oh, and then, like I said, they added some really interesting condiment to it. I, I can't even tell you exactly what it was based on, but just. I had quit talking and started eating by that point and it was over. I, I, I couldn't wait to get back over there. Wow. That's pretty fascinating. I wonder if we could find an Irish burger down here in Texas somewhere. I'll have to Google that. Yeah, there you go. Look around. There, there's a, there's a, a chain Moe's Irish pub and they got a lot of, a lot of different um, Irish fare. I think I've seen it here in Houston. I think I've, they have one in Austin as well. I'd have to check it out, but uh, they might have that Irish burger that you're looking for. There you go. Yeah, I love right. traveling around and finding these different regional specialties that, that uh, you know, today it's kind of gotten where uh, a lot of stuff is just spread as the world gets smaller. And, like you can find In-N-Out burgers across the whole U.S. pretty much now where it used to be like confined to, uh, you know, the, the Southwest and, uh, you know, certain there's still unique things in different pockets of the world. And that's that's fun to discover. Nothing better than finding a, a non-chain restaurant when you're, while you're on the road. Nothing better than that. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And, you know, another thing, since we're still on this subject, another thing that I found as I went through that region that I was not used to or had never heard of before was uh, they had taken nachos and made kind of an Italian nacho um, situation where they took, I guess, the, the pasta and then uh, had it fairly thin and, and fried it like you would a chip. So it kind of turned into a, a pasta based chip uh for lack of a better description and uh those things were they were really good and they would they would top it with like pizza type toppings uh for those of us that are not as chef oriented and uh it it really was a different experience but they i think they called it an italian nachos or something of that make nachos about just about anything i had a sushi nachos or poke one of the two nachos once and it was just deconstructed sushi on um on wonton chips and it was delicious nice. yeah there you go like you exactly. make any any sort of nachos i can get okay. behind that I'll try that nachos are, nachos are your friend that's my that's been my favorite <laughs> uh my favorite marquee so far in texas was uh i was driving down the road and looked over and it had a, a marquee that said uh you can't make everyone happy you're not queso <laughs> that's it's just, just like that's about you're, you're right. right i'm not queso i can't make everyone happy that's queso great. makes everybody if you don't like queso that's, then i don't know what's wrong with you you're some, missing some, out yeah you're, you're trying not you're trying not to be loved is what you're doing that's right oh that's for sure you know my going back to nachos for a second my uh go-to watering hole in uh in my previous uh town was uh called our bar and they had nachos with their homemade pulled pork which is amazing and and, you know they had a little pun. It's called Nacho Ordinary Nachos, and that was pretty Ayo. hot to go to. <laughs> nice. Thought you'd nice. appreciate that one, uh, Andy. I love puns, and I love barbecue nachos. You can't go wrong with that. 
especially with all the good barbecue we have around here. Anytime any of the good barbecue places make a barbecue nachos, it's something to behold and something to try out. Definitely. Definitely. So, Robert, yeah. thank thanks for uh, for joining us. I appreciate it. Your uh, recommendations, well, well in Michigan, the Old Time Cafe out in Fowlerville, Michigan, about halfway between Lansing and Detroit, and uh, Kennedy's Irish Pub in Weatherford Township, just outside Pontiac. I don't anticipate being in Michigan anytime soon. Definitely not during the winter season. You will not catch me up there uh, while it's snowing. But if I'm ever up there in the summer, I uh, I will make a road trip to uh, to check these places out. Uh, I like it. Well, guys, I appreciate you having me on. And, and uh, obviously, anytime you want me to talk about good food, I, uh, uh, I can do that without a problem. You guys take care. All right. Thanks, Thanks Robert. Robert. We'll definitely do uh, Robert's Travel Corner in the future. That was Robert Hall, special guest. And uh, we'll take another quick break and get you out of here. This is Andy and John Talk Telecom. And we're back. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Please give us a five-star review. And tune in for all the exciting stuff to come. Andy, what have we got on the training calendar? So on the docket, we have some uh, trainings from the SCTE as well as Nate. Um, Who is Nate? Oh, yeah. So we haven't talked about them, I don't think, on the podcast yet. Nate is the Communications Infrastructure Contractors Association. It's a nonprofit trade association. Um, and what they do is they provide a unified voice for companies in uh, tower and communications infrastructure, construction service, and maintenance industries. So we'll get to their uh, training last. We'll start with SCTE. The Razorback chapter of SCTE has a uh, continuity power supply monitoring webinar on Tuesday, August 25th, Wednesday, August 26th, and Thursday, August 27th. It looks like it is all three days. That is from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Let's go over, it will go over safety, basics of ACDC, volt, ohm, meter basics, utility, and plant powering overview, and under giving understanding and operation of power supplies and understanding and testing batteries, status, monitoring, overview, and grounds and bonding. Wow, shout out to Razorback Chapter. A lot of great folks on that I'll, board, and that is a great show to go to every year. They have a lot of uh, of training there. They're going to jam-pack into that, so that seems like it might be well worth your time. Next, we have the Mount Rainier Chapter uh, on Wednesday, August 26th. It looks like they have two sessions, one at 6.30 a.m. and one at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time, they would like you to join them uh, for an informative webinar where they will compare and contrast cable codes and telcos, emerging technologies, and architectures. You will also learn about the rapidly changing telecom landscape. So if you're looking for more on uh, what is next uh, for telco and cable code technologies, looks like this webinar will be good to tune in on Wednesday, August 26th. Uh, the Green Mountain chapter, they have a fiber installation uh, training on uh, Thursday, August 27th from 8 a.m. or sorry, from 7.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. And finally, the Rocky Mountain chapter has a drop prep and connectorization webinar um, on Thursday, August 27th from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. We'll be talking about back to basics, F connectors and drop cable. Topics include cable types, cable prep, failure modes, connectorization, and weather protection. So those are the SCTE trainings as always. Go to SCTE.org, look at the events calendar, and you can find all these trainings and register yourself for them. So we'll move over to Nate. 
which it says the Communications Infrastructure Contractors Association. This uh, training or this webinar is further out. It's about a month uh, away from when this episode will drop. Uh, the topic is Women of Nate Empowering Women Today. So if you are a woman in telecom or you work with women in telecom or maybe you have women as employees uh, in, in the telecom world, I think this would be a great webinar uh, to attend and, and see some of the great things that uh, women are doing in the telecom industry. So that wraps up the trainings. Um, oh, let me tell you where to go for the Nate training. Go to natehome, N-A-T-E-H-O-M-E.com. And uh, you can go to their safety and education and their look at their webinars tab and you can register for that that way. So John, that's our trainings upcoming this week and the one uh, further out. And we'll take one more quick break and we'll get out of here. Thanks for listening to Andy and John Talk Telecom. All right, welcome back. We are just about done. Thanks for hanging with us today. If you have made it this far into the episode, you are a true all-star. You are a trooper. Gold star for you. Uh, we appreciate it. We sincerely, sincerely appreciate you listening. Make sure you subscribe on Apple um, Podcasts or on Spotify, as, as John mentioned earlier. If you'd like to reach us in any way, you can email us at aajttpodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a, a message on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at alpha alpha julia tango tango podcast, aajtt podcast. So John, I hope you have a great weekend. I appreciate you bringing all sorts of knowledge to this podcast. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Well, I just can't believe we've made it this far without mentioning satellite-based internet, but we'll say that. <laughs> it's, the, it's the first time uh, that we, we really haven't talked about Starlink or Blue Origin, but you know we just did, so we, 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 <laughs> we don't get to break that streak. I mean, I, I read some stuff about Starlink and uh, this week, but it was more just about them deploying satellites and more of their, their beta test speeds. So nothing really breaking to talk about just yet. But I think there are good things on the horizon for uh, rural uh, internet access via satellite. And I think a lot of people are going to be happy once they have that option. Whether it's cost effective or not, I think they'll be happy just to have the option. Nice. Well, Andy, you're going to be brave in the heat this weekend to play a little golf? You know it, man. I might go right now. You know, uh, it's uh, the heat ain't going to keep me down. So you have any plans this weekend, John? Uh, maybe a little bit of paddle boarding and uh, relaxing. I don't have to move anything this weekend. So looking forward to it. Enjoy your new digs, buddy. I appreciate you uh, joining me on this. And uh, listeners, I appreciate you guys joining us on this telecom journey. Until next time, Andy and John logging off. <laughs>